recorded live. Scuba Obsessed is a weekly podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving, from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba in the news. Scuba Obsessed episode 78 was recorded live August 18th, 2011. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Jolson. Some of the articles that we're going to have in the news this week is a bridge to the past follow-up. The hunt is on. Diver gets caught with tackle in the tackle. I can see clearly now and some more Dan training. And this week I would like to welcome my co-host, Mac. How are you doing today, Mac? I'm doing very fine today. And yourself? Doing well. Not too bad. Excellent. Uh, Excellent. I, I've been getting some diving in and I see that you are getting a little wet playing around in the water yeah we hit the river three times already this week well that's great i saw some some photos and uh well we'll go ahead and get to that part a little bit later in the show uh first one we have up on the list is we have a follow-up to last week and what it is is one of the listeners uh mark from california uh he said that uh, uh he was listening to the latest episode and he heard us talk and he gave us a little bit of an update in that site if you remember the article was lake berryessa and he's actually phonetically pr- broken it out for me, Barry Essa, the bridge. And uh, he said that he had actually been looking for it, but couldn't get anybody else interested enough to give it a shot. Uh, Puta, commonly pronounced Poyota Creek Bridge, is in the deeper sections of the lake. The term bad, bad viz was invented for the lake, which is called Monticello. Uh, he said, I was descending an anchor line. My friend, the first dive there, went about 15 feet. He faded into chocolate milk like water. I stopped, pulled myself toward where I'd been an arm's length away, nothing, pressed my computer to my face, the dive light pressed, and he could not read it. I pulled myself up a foot or two, light started to return, we finished a dive near shore, no deeper than 12 feet or so. Uh, he says he knows, somebody says it opens up past 50 feet, he says he under he wonders what else he lives about. <laughs> so he says a, like a group, could, perhaps this group could use a safety diver. So uh, it'd be interesting to see if he could get in, uh, we'd have an inside source on that dive. But we've seen that before. I mean, Singer Lake reminds me of that when you talk about really bad visibility. That surface, you know, depending on the time of the year, is just terrible. Plus, out there, I imagine it with being warm, they really don't get a winter clearing like we do. Well, you go around the uh, North Pier, go back into the Riverside, and it's just like, you know, the same thing. Looks like Star Trek where you put your uh, Stargate, where you mm-hmm. put your hand through that, that water-looking sleeve and it disappears. Yeah. I'd like to know how deep that is, though. If he said uh, it clears at 50 feet, uh, what was the, the, the depth in which they were diving? So I'm, I'm curious about that. It, it sounds like they never even went down that far. They just decided it was too bad and called it, uh, said no well, deeper somebody, than 12 feet. Yeah, but if somebody told them it cleared it at 50, I wonder what the depth there was. Yeah, yeah, that'd be that'd be true. Kind of like Pawpaw, where that can get a little bit uh, clearer as you go deeper. Yeah, and it, it, but you definitely got to have a light. It's dark, but it is clear with the light. Is the audio good for you, Mac? Am I skipping? Yeah, you were a minute ago, uh, right the second. You seem to be pretty good, but you were, I get, I was getting hesitancy there. Okay, so that's probably a little Skype and bandwidth. Yeah, so, okay now. Good, good. So that was that, was that one. Uh, the next one is uh, an article on diver fishing, and I haven't primed up any of these news articles. I'm, we're just going to see how quick they go. Talking about the loggerhead with the uh, 
Oh, this is this is oh no yeah that is actually the first one. I'm I'm even going out of order. Yeah, that was a oh that looked like an evil shot, didn't it? Oh man, it looks painful, and it's like I don't know why he didn't kill him because it's in his head right behind the eye. Yeah, well they said that had it been a quarter inch any other way, uh, we just pasted it into the chat room so people can follow along, and also we'll have it in the show notes. Just head over to the Scuba Obsessed website, and you'll be able to see it there. But uh, what happened is uh, in Florida, a 125-pound endangered loggerhead turtle is currently recovering from a spear gun shot to the head. The Florida Keys community has vowed to find and punish whoever did it. The reward for information leads to the arrest and conviction is $10,750. I'm trying to figure out what they mean by here, along with three scuba dives, three fishing trips, and eight hours of free welding and fabrication. Oh, oh, okay, I see what happened. Uh, that was what it took. Uh, the victim was a 15 to 18-year-old turtle. Uh, they said it's too long, too young to determine its gender. It was rescued after it, Sarah, after a family member celebrating her 18th birthday. Um, a reptile veterinarian removed the four-foot steel-shafted sh- spear. Uh, this, it was actually a father and son, Charlie and Nicholas, vacationing from Michigan, uh, returning from a fishing trip, they spotted something floating with flippers in the air uh, near the P- Little Palm Island. They got closer, they discovered the sea turtle with a spear protruding from its face. And in the photo, I mean, it can't be more than a quarter inch behind the eye is that shaft. And it, and that ha- it's very recent. I mean, there's, that's not an old injury. That had just had to have happened. Uh, the father and son tried to uh, get get the turtle on the boat. The first uh, couple attempts were unsuccessful. Uh, the turtle would freak out and dive down, uh, Borg said. Each time, the father and son patiently waited about 15 minutes for the stressed turtle to surface. The third time the sun was setting, they were able to get it on board. Um, before the turtle could be sent to the turtle hospital ambulance, placed in the turtle's hospital ambulance, a spear needed to need to be cut. Um they sedated the turtle, uh, and then using a grinding tool, uh, they had to cut the shaft because bolt cutters wouldn't work on the steel. Uh, they had to cool the spear shaft off with rags with ice so the heat wouldn't be transmitted to the turtle's brain. Uh, the turtle, Sarah, was given antibiotics, uh, shock therapy, and pain medication. Now, what's shock therapy? For for a turtle, I don't know. For, for uh, a human, shock therapy could be... Uh, the elevation aspect could be putting on masked trousers. Oh, okay, I I get it. I, I I'm thinking of uh you know the Jack Nicholson the one Cuckoo's Nets shock therapy, not treating shock. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh huh. They said the spear went in a quarter inch in any direction, it would be dead. Uh, investigation is being carried out by the Florida Fish and Wildlife Commission, and they're looking for any information. Uh, they expect the turtle to be released in the wild in the next month. That's one lucky tur- uh, turtle. Yeah. The worst thing about it is, uh, Dave pointed out in the chat room, is that this had to be done by a diver. This is not does not portray divers in a positive light. Hopefully, it was a not a scuba diver though. Oh, Maybe a snorkeler. Skin yeah, skin diver, snorkeler. Okay. Oh, yeah. So that as a nasty injury. Now that is lobster season. You think somebody was just silly and didn't know their animals and thought that was a lobster? Not by a long shot. I mean, <laughs> uh, made a headshot. He was expecting to kill it. Oh, uh, well, I see. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Somebody thought that they were going to snag themselves a turtle. Okay, the next one is actions at scales hot on fishing events last day. And the reason I picked this one up is up here, 
we scuba diving and fishing really haven't been something that goes together. They had a fish rodeo, the uh, six, 61st annual Teleborn Sportsman's League International Fishing Rodeo. Uh, it had its final day last Sunday. Um, the East Park Recreational Center and Hanuma throughout the hot afternoon, frequent changes in the leaderboard, all the way up to closing scales. But to kind of fast forward through the article, uh, they said it was a friendly competition, but it was intense. We got 100 divers in the club and brought 20 here this weekend. We go anywhere, 30 to 100 miles offshore. My guys pulled up with some big string stingrays and amberjacks out there. Well, so, we, we don't do that here because we don't have the variety of fish to shoot, nor the visibility. Because I don't think you want to have, uh, well, let me rephrase that. <laughs> in old days, and I say that 30 years ago, we had spearfishing contests up north at uh, Top of the World Aquaton. And everybody pretty much separated for the day. It was a two-day event. And the major item you're going to bring in is going to be buff- buffalo or carp. To, mm-hmm. uh, trash. Now, these guys are taking stuff you can actually eat. I mean, nice stuff. That would be fun. And if you're up here, you're you're sort of playing in the weeds. And you don't want to have a lot of guys out there at low vis shooting. Uh, no. Fish. I don't think so. <laughs> shooting fish. No, because how, how, how far can a spear go, uh, one of those spear guns go? Depending on what kind you have. I used to have a three band and uh, even mine was, I'm, I'm, t- I'm only talking 15 feet probably the most for mine. Never was a great shot anyway. And generally mine would bounce off those darn carp. I think they got armor plating on. Yeah, that, I, I saw something jump as I was heading out to the lake yesterday. And it, uh, my first instinct was, I hope that's not one of those carp, Asian carp. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, about the biggest thing to do around here, uh, talking instead of spearing, is uh, bow fishing. Uh, they have a lot of contests here in the state of Michigan. And I know at Paw Paw Lake, for example, last year, they had a, a very large uh, event and they got hundreds of carp. Yeah, I can remember as a kid, they used to do, uh, they had something called the carp shoot. This was on the Kalamazoo River. And that was all done with uh, archery. And they would just have uh, people on the front of boats. And they would fill a semi-trailer in a weekend. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I can remember because they'd have this big semi-trailer or like open-top dumpster. And it had nothing but barrels in it. And it would just be loaded with tons of carp. The wildest one I think I've ever seen like that was uh, I was stationed in Alabama years ago. And they wanted to deoxygenate a lake. And as they did that, they opened it up to anybody for any fish and they were spearing and uh using bow bow hunting or bow fishing mm-hmm. talk about the fish i mean they were deoxygenating it anyway they were killing the fish so didn't make any difference but talk about the people and the amount of fish they, they got out amazing yeah now what was the purpose of deoxygenating the lake i think they had some issues with the different type of fish that were in there and they were trying to basically start over oh okay so they were trying to to uh probably for more sporting type of fish i i really don't remember the you know exactly why other than they were and, and when i'm talking about a, a a small i would call it more of a pond than a lake because it wasn't that huge but it's still amazing how many fish were in the darn thing kind of singer lake sized maybe yeah matter of fact yeah okay so i got an idea that's probably a what 30 acre 40 acre lake maybe yep yeah. 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 I mean, you, it's amazing what kind of diversity you can get in a little small spot of water. And how big they can get. Yeah. Yeah. You figure there's got to be some big granddaddy of them all. Of course, you always yeah. hear about that, and then you never quite see anybody pull them up. Or if they do, they're not telling you because they don't want you to. They don't want competition. 
But speaking of being something big pulled up, this next one out of the UK, an angler catches a scuba diver on fishing line. Uh, an angler was pulling in what he figured was an enormous fish pulling his line, only to discover he had a scuba diver caught by the leg. Uh, John Goldfish, 61, uh, with his mates Colin and Alan Ashley, they felt a huge bite. The uh, angler tried to pull it in, uh, and they were getting a net ready for the massive fish, and his excitement turned to shock when the hook surfaced about 15 meters offshore to reveal a hapless frogman, i.e. scuba diver. Uh, to add insult to injury, the diver had been hooked between his legs. Uh, Mr. Goldsmith of Exmouth says his mates were following about laughing. I feel sorry. I said, sorry, mate. I didn't see you there. He just said it was very murky down there. The funniest thing was that his girlfriend then surfaced, helped him remove the tackle from his tackle, and nonchalantly handed back the hook to me and apologized. Despite seeing the funny side of the accident, he said there was a serious message to be taken on board. I didn't see the diver because he didn't have a safety buoy, which is they're supposed to have when moving underwater. He said, my brother-in-law is a diver, and it's and the opinion of his brother-in-law served the bloke right. At the end of the day, he could have just ruined his kit or even worse. Ouch. Yeah. You see the size of that hook? That hook, yeah. That, uh, I mean, yeah, they're holding it up to the lens. The loop or the arc of that hook is as big as your thumb. Uh, That's thicker than seven millimeter. (laughs) Oh, yeah. You think so? Yeah. (laughs) About like getting a treble hook in the cheek. Yes. So what I'm imagining is that uh, it didn't actually penetrate. Because I think I'd be doing a lot more than... Uh, just saying, oops, sorry. I think I would have been screaming, call me an ambulance if that had really snagged. So, Ooh. and that's, that's, that's about blood. no, they didn't say anything about blood, but that, ouch. Absolutely. But do you think that a dive flag, I mean, he definitely should have had a dive flag, but do you think a dive flag would have made a difference? Yes. Yep. I mean, a, a guy with a hook that big and you're doing game fishing maybe, and you're in the vicinity, that might have given him a clue, by the way, you know, at the least. Yeah. Yep. So let that be a lesson. Make sure you've got your dive flag. The next one, mall. pardon me? And your chain mall on. Chain mail, yeah. Going to need something to, that, that needs some armor. This next one, I've been following this article for a while, but I didn't post it because I just didn't quite believe it. And uh, now he, uh, Vladimir Putin's Greek urn claims urn ridicule. If you've been doing searching about scuba diving on Google or any other search sites, you probably come across the article that Vladimir Putin did some scuba diving just recreationally near an archaeological site and amazingly pulled up two urns that nobody else had been able to find after weeks and weeks of underwater surveying. So uh, They do uh, look in good shape. Well, well that's what they're saying. They said the biggest thing that had been pulled out of that lake was tiny fragments. He goes in and then pulls up these these large jars and everybody's excited to see them. So uh, the media is, which is kind of amazing for Russian media. I know they're supposed to be democracy, but that's kind of the weakest form of democracy. I think they've got is what they've got going over there. Uh, And he's been doing Putin's this last few weeks has been doing these video ops. I I don't know. Maybe he's getting a little nervous by what he sees happening in the middle East and then in great Britain. And he's afraid of what's going to happen there if he gets stuff going. So, uh, his his visit was meant to highlight the work of Russian scientists exploring the remains of an ancient Greek city. 
uh, Fangoria, sometimes called Russian Russia's Atlantis. The site is not far from Skochi, a Black Sea resort that will host the 2014 Winter Olympic Games. The authorities hope to develop a t- its tourism potential. Yet the critics saw the dives another far farcical stunt designed to boost Putin's image before elections in December and March. Hey, actually, maybe they are democratic. That'd be the exact same thing going on here. <laughs> okay. I wouldn't mind finding something like that, though. Oh, I wouldn't mind finding it. Seated or not, that'd be fun. <laughs> Whoops. I typed this last one in wrong. This one is a uh, the Germania scuba team gets sonar equipment. Um, not going to read the whole one here, but uh, this is a a rescue team who had been doing some work and they didn't have a sonar. And you know, usually what happens when you have a tragedy is that somebody goes and donates some equipment. So they got some new equipment. They're trying it out, but I just thought it was interesting. Uh, the price three thousand dollars for the equipment. I'd love to know what that is that they got. It sounds like the uh, something similar to what we've been using. Yeah. The you know the hummingbird or one of those for that amount of money that that's that would be in the ballpark. That would be. Yeah, more. Um, yeah, I tried. I was I spent this week looking through the hummingbird site, trying to do a little bit more digging, see what I can and learn about it. And unfortunately, they they don't even recognize that their stuff can be used for shipwreck finding. Everything is so fish focused. Well, that's where their money is, and that's who has the most, you know. Yeah, I mean it's your largest market, so <laughs> you, you you can't blame them. But I would certainly love uh, maybe them to do a little alternate site where they could, you know, give you some better technical specs. They had some things that I was trying to figure out if they were just marketing terms or truly items that helped with uh, search rec finding. Because they had multiple scan modes, dual modes, quad modes. Uh, they had a uh, you know, like what I've always thought is, why didn't somebody, because when you're doing side scan sonar, you've got the left side and the right side and you're missing everything that's underneath. They actually had a sensor that was doing that. So it stitched it all together. So you had a left, a right and a bottom, and then it was seamlessly stitched together. And I was wondering if that was worth anything at all or more of a gimmick. Uh, the way the electronics are nowadays, you're getting some terrific items out there. Uh, I, I know there's techniques for that, that you can, the, the key is you don't want to have frequencies of the same you can't hit the same frequency it's got to be something different yeah well this is this was a unit that did it all built in yeah you can marry it together yeah yeah so they had they had one unit all had stitched in so i was looking at that wondering how well that would work and also trying to see what i'd love to do is take some of the stuff that we're doing to the next level and have it live stitched all together so we could paint what the bottom of uh, lake michigan in our area looks like you know you know run east and west routes run north and south routes and end up with a complete stitched together image of the bottom right have a nice composite yeah yeah okay so now we're on to scuba team searches for threatened species in the brazo river and uh what this yeah is in texas and they said there was only uh, one way to get over the brazo river and that's i-35 in the main lanes they uh, said that is a problem for pedestrian bikers and diver and drivers, not divers. Uh, when there's an accident on the highway, they don't have a solution. Uh, access road bridges. Uh, they're trying to build the bridge as part of an I-35 expansion, but they can't start construction until they do an underwater survey. So what they did is they brought in a team of environmental researchers to find out what wildlife might be in the area. 
In this case, there may be five or six species of mussels which are on the endangered list, so they had to go out and look for them. Uh, they are citing that mussels are a na- natural filtration system. They take water in and they run it through the filter and expel the water, which makes it cleaner. So the divers from Texas A&M uh, were in the 100-degree water, 15 feet deep, to search for the mussels. This is one of the more difficult sites they've ever had to deal with. It was a whole different ball game. We had to do scuba diving, uh, but this is the first one where we had the scuba entirely. They said it was so deep and so dark. They were searching blindly. Team of four had to rely on touch to find the mussels. We've got this line going so many meters from the bank. We had to follow lines in the bottom until we blindly feeling around for the mussels. They found a shell and one live mussel, but none of the mussels that or evidence they found were on the endangered list, which means that they will be saving an estimated $50,000 in money that they had budgeted to relocate any mussels they had found. I, the only thing I thought was interesting, you're talking about brave the 100-degree weather and 15-deep water. And then, mm-hmm. then the next statement's two down. The water yeah, is so yeah. deep and dark. Excuse me, 15 feet is so deep. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was thinking the same thing. Yeah, I can believe it was dark. Yeah. Uh, but what was uh, uh, six items they were looking for or what they thought they were? Uh, I think it was just six different species of uh, mussel. I had, just of which muscles there were. That's what I was saying. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, I, I bet we could look on the, on a website and find out what they had that are endangered. I'm just curious if it's like ours and why are they endangered? Yeah. Yeah, but that was a uh, you know you you, you kind of wonder. I mean, not that I'm saying they didn't do a good job. You know, I don't know how many how long they were diving, but I know from what we're doing when you're searching, how many times have we like that there uh, when we do that river dive we have dove that same spot in the river and how many times do you go through it and find something new absolutely absolutely so and that's with fairly decent vis i mean we had six or seven feet there a few times and when you've got nothing uh, i mean i don't know how you do it you almost have to just take a bucket and anything that feels like a rock you bring up and look at but yeah i was curious what they were using on gloves and what the bottom terrain was like was it sandy was it silty was it you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. Yeah, that would have a lot to do with how well I could see it. And generally, where do we see most of the clams and stuff around here that we have? Uh, uh, usually, I would say more the the lakes, the ponds. Right, and they normally were not in the the swift part. They were normal, you know, normally along the shoreline or yeah. on the slope. Yeah, yeah. The 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 swift part where the bottom's being scrubbed. There's really nothing nothing there. But I've seen a lot more clams, and I thought that uh, there we should see. We should say in the old days, again, uh, clams normally gave you the health of the river or the, of the area they're at. Um, there are some good articles on that in uh, a couple of, I think it was U of M. They were doing some surveys and they were talking about the health of the lakes and is proportional to the amount of different light that you're going to find in it, such as different kind of weeds, vegetation, and clams. Um, it was quite interesting. So I can see their concern. And this next one is on Divers Alert Network. The Diver Alert Network unveils new video training series for scuba divers. And international, uh, the DAN organization, International Scuba Diving Safety and Training Organization, announced Wednesday that they're adding a new form of training, their video lecture series. The series joins DAN's online seminar training and its real-time webinars. The new video will feature proper uh, popular lectures given by various members of the Dan staff with topics ranging from questions of frequently asked of Dan medical information department to safety issues. 
Each presentation is approximately 40 minutes in duration, and I leave a link for those wishing to watch a lecture in a group setting such as dive club meeting or continuing education course. We are pleased to be able to offer these presentations of video lecture series. Uh, the first of the series is Medications and Diving, presented by Dr. Bird. The lecture provides an up-to-date approach to the issue of medications and diving, emphasizing a systematic approach to evaluating medical fitness to dive for questions who are either taking or will take medications. So they say there, there's virtually no limit to the number of topics that can be covered. And I'm glad they're, they're getting back into doing this. Uh, Dan used to have a podcast about four or five years ago. And you only see they did a couple episodes and then stopped it. So this might be their attempt at redoing it. Uh, online sessions are free to Dan members. Access is automatically included with Dan membership. To access the seminar, simply visit the link and log in as a Dan member. Well, if no, if the people out there who are listening to us don't have Dan, they really should. I'm a firm believer in it. Uh, we've had some club members who, if they had not had the insurance aspect of Dan, They'd had some tremendous bills. And I'll just say this month issue of the Dan magazine uh, is one of the better ones. At least the majority of topics in it, I like. Uh, there's one in for diver fitness, which especially as I get older, it's very interesting to see what they're recommending at a minimum for what they call interval training, high efficiency workout. Oh, really? It was also, it was also funny that we were talking about uh, diving in areas that were at altitude. They happen to have an uh, advanced diving research education section this time on altitude and decompression sickness, which was really neat. Uh, like last month in our newsletter, I like to put the little, uh, I don't want to say preacher sermon here, you know, soapbox, but they've got one in here. It's called Where's Dave? And it's basically putting together skills to find a missing friend. Well, if you didn't have a dive plan before you went and knew when the guy was coming up, you'd never know he was missing. Right. Uh, so that whole article was good because I can I can say, wait a minute, we've done that. Could that happen to us? Heck, yes, it could. And even though this turned out to be okay, I mean, it worked out. They activated the plan. They called the Coast Guard. You know, they put it in motion and they had to cancel it. Not had to, but they canceled it after 15 minutes because everything resolved. But if you hadn't had that plan, Somebody could have been in much more serious condition. Yeah. Well, uh, and when we get into the dive portion of the, the the show, I'll I'll talk about some of the experiences that we had last night because that's that's a perfect example of, of where that comes in. Right. And the dive medic questions. Now, if you're if you're not a Dan member, that's one of the magazines I do like. I mean, articles on fish and stuff are great, but I like items that that reinforce what I I should be doing. Uh, examples of lessons learned, you know, uh, what they in the in the industry call operating experiences learned from somebody else's mistake. Uh, Certainly, I like those, and hopefully, I'll be able to put those into practice and make myself a safer diver. Anyway, I like Dan. I think they're good, good organization. I, I think they are, and it's it's very fortunate that the diving industry has something like that, uh, very useful. Um, and speaking of older divers. A uh, member of the Berry Bay Scuba Aquatic Club is the UK's oldest scuba diver. Uh, the Vale Man is pr proving that you're never too old after being hailed as the UK's oldest scuba diver. The 91-year-old great-grandfather of two, Norman Lancefield, an active member of the Berry branch of the British Sub-Aquatic Club, BSAC, has completed hundreds of dives and completed 
his latest one at Bubbacombe Reach Beach in Torquay, Devon. The retired mechanical engineer began his hobby at 58 in 1978, still regularly dives to a depth of 10 meters. He started at 58. I mean, that's great. You know, because I, I have to say that there are times that I, I wonder, you know, I, I want to dive for a long time and, and you just every year things don't move quite as, as well. You know, like I'm, I'm dreading the point of going to doubles and it's heartening to see that somebody that was 58 and 78 is still diving at 91. That means I can keep it up too. There you go. It's a, it's a, it's a good target. So, well, I think I'll make it a lot quicker than you will. <laughs> like to, to 91. Yes. Yeah. Got a head start on you. <laughs> yeah. You, you got a little bit of head start, but, uh, it's going to take me a long time to ever cap up, catch up to the number of dives you're doing. You're, you're outpacing me at probably about 10 to one. I um, hope. <laughs> yeah. So uh, a, a great article, you know, congratulations to him. If you want to read more about Barry, it's uh, www.barryscuba, or not, uh, Barry, B-A-R-R-Y, S-U-B-A-Q-U-A.org, subaquatic. That must be what that stands for. So, and then this last one. I just thought it was very interesting. I keep talking about scuba marketing and related industries. You know, how do we revitalize uh, the diving industry a little bit? And I thought this was just a cool idea. Ten marine movies for sale in cinema. Uh, They said the world's first in sale in cinema will premiere on Britain's Isle of Wight on Friday. So uh, what I'm putting this in as being the equivalent of a drive-in but in a boat. They will broadcast the movies and then they synchronize over radio so you can listen to the audio channel. So you pull out in your boat and looking at the titles, how do you like the titles of some of I these like movies? I like every one of them. <laughs> I like even Finding Nemo. Yeah. I thought that was a kind of, it, star, it starts with Jaws and then the list of 10 ends with Finding Nemo. <laughs> But they have Jaws, Pirates of the Caribbean, Caribbean, oh my goodness, African Queen, Perfect Storm, Moby Dick, Open Water. Now, Open Water, <laughs> that, oh, that, that's a couple hours of my life I'm never getting back. Yeah. Uh, the Bounty, Morning Light, and Finding Nepo. Did you ever see Open Water, Mac? No, I never did. That, that's just like, eh, they're going to die. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that might, that, maybe that's what we need to do. Maybe we need to do this as a, as a dive club or something. We need to get a sponsoring store and we'll do something. Gosh, we've, we went, well, let's, uh, let's see. Do we have anything else before we, we go into last week's dives? No, that was it. That was the last article. That was the last article, yeah. yeah. So we'll go ahead and, uh, head into last week's dives. Uh, did you, were you able to, uh, to, to get wet? Last week? Since, since last week. Yeah, uh, we 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 took this week. I can't remember what I did last week. Uh, I know this week though we dove three three times already. But we were doing grubbing in the uh, St. Joe River uh, in Buried Springs, a, a place that you're very well familiar with, mm-hmm. or pretty much familiar with. And uh, you saw the one little plug we put about Mystery Island. Oh, you got a new post in there since I looked last. Uh, we did that side trip back to Mystery Island. Uh, that's when you cross over the bridge, you always look down and you see the island that's usually, well, not usually, but quite often almost submerged. Oh, oh, I see. So you're, you're not talking about Rotary <laughs> Island, the one that's got trees on it. Yeah, I am. That's the okay. one. Okay. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's, uh, 
It's had many names over the years, but currently it's called the uh, Rotary Island. There's a project to put a walk bridge out there. The problem they're running into is all the public safety people are scared to death because it, they wouldn't be able to get uh, emergency equipment out onto the island. So there's a few people that said over my dead body there'll ever be a bridge out to there. It it would be awkward, I think. Uh, I mean, you could you could do it, but is the cost justified for the amount of use? I'm not sure, uh, especially for the amount of time that would be available, because you're not going to be out there during the winter. No. You're not going to be out there during the flood periods, uh, so you're somewhat limited. Yeah. And if, have you been on the island before? I haven't. Uh, I want to say my dad's been out there on the island, and had talked yeah. about it, but when I asked him about it a, a year ago, he claimed that that wasn't him, so <laughs> I don't know what I had heard. Yeah, we, we pretty much walked around it, uh, and based on the water levels being down right now, it was actually very nice, but it's got a dip in the middle, actually, in two different places, so that's going to flood pretty darn good. Yeah. And uh, I'll, I'll share some pictures with you later, but we found some interesting items out there that uh, are fun to look at. Uh, on the island uh, or near the island? No, on the island. Yeah. yeah okay. I, you know, I, they had businesses I, out there, right? Yeah. Uh, well, that's what I was asking my dad about because there was a, because uh, they used to do logging before they put in the hydro dam. They used to float logs down the river and that's where they would cut them up is right there on that island. So there's supposed to be a mill, uh, an, an old lumber mill. And I want to say my dad had taken the serial numbers or the information, the like a rubbing of the plaque off it. And I was asking about that and he couldn't remember that he had ever done that. I'm, I'm sure he did, but so that looks cool. Some amazing pictures. You can head over to the mud club site, mudclub.scubaobsessed.com. Also, if you know of a dive club out there, anybody uh, who wants a website, uh, just email me at the show at scubaobsessed.com and I can work with getting you set up on a club, just like the mud club site. Uh, like to support these local uh, diving clubs and we can go ahead and host the uh, content for you. But yeah, excellent, excellent uh, out there. So I gotta have to go yeah, through and look through those pictures. Uh, and then I'm noted. I, I gotta get. Uh, I gotta put a post up for our dive that we did last night. Uh, this last weekend, we tried to get out on Lake Michigan, and uh, we had eight foot waves both Saturday and Sunday. So there was no chance to get out on the big lake. So I took it as a bye week, and then we went out to uh, Lake Michigan last night, and it was perfect. When we came out, there wasn't a ripple. It was just like the slowly undulating glass as we went out. Just a perfect night. Uh, it said one foot, but it wasn't six inches. And we headed out to uh, one of the wrecks that we had been diving. But I was kind of wondering what the conditions were going to be like. Uh, we got a buoy that we've been watching, and we were wondering if it had been broke because the difference, and this buoy's out at 60 feet, difference between the top and the bottom was less than one degree different across all 60 feet with many of the sensors coming in with a 10th of a degree of each other. So, uh, we were kind of worried what we're going to see. We had four divers in uh, Jim Schultz's boat. Uh, Rick came, uh, we had Richard, uh, it was both the first time for them on this site. And then we had, uh, myself and Jim Schultz, uh, three wetsuit divers and one dry suit diver. And I was sweating in my swim shorts before putting on the wetsuit. I can't imagine what Richard getting that dry suit had to be like. Uncomfortable. Uh, he, yeah, he. And I've got some pictures, which I'll have them in the, when I, I do the post of the podcast. 
So I guess I think I got some good pictures. I haven't even actually viewed them yet, but uh, I, I got some interesting shots. Uh, but uh, Jim's Jim's boat's been working out really well. That uh, that boat that he's got. I like and, the platform and I like his rails getting back up. Yeah, yeah. There's a few things I would do just a little differently, but you know, it's for a first season for that boat. It's been amazing, uh, excellent. Uh, he had the extra canopy up last night, which uh, it's kind of like a canvas top. And when you do that, it makes it hard getting in and out of the boat because you, you know, you're climbing over the transom. And I like to go over the side. I, I That's my preferred way of entry because in that way you can use the – I'm not a big one. I thought I would like a platform off the back where you can get the tank on. The problem is that means I do need assistance. I If I can stand up in a boat or if I can set it up on a spot that I, is fairly secure, otherwise I have to have somebody hold the tank because there's nothing worse than a boat rocking and that tank getting knocked over. So we had Rich and Rick went into the water first, and they hadn't been onto this particular site before, so we let them go down. Uh, Jim and I went down just about the same time, within uh, probably 60 seconds of each other. And when we get to the bottom, it is terrible visibility. We went from 80 to 100 feet vis two weeks before to less than three feet and part of it I blame on the time of day. It was late. We got in the water at 7 o'clock at night, and the sun was over the horizon. So when you got to about 50 feet, it was approaching almost a night dive. So, and I don't have, I just have a little backup light. I didn't have anything bright. Uh, so I just didn't even bother with my light. Uh, and uh, and then part of it is, is that it's a, this, uh, kind of a silty bottom, so it's really easy to kick up. So, uh you know, I, I had planned on doing some documentation and measurements, and pretty much all I did was just uh, hang around the site and not see a whole lot. Uh, but well, well, you figure, I was going to say, you figured today at 77.5 degrees on the on the surface, and at almost 60 feet, it's 71.2. Yeah. At the bottom, it was a little chilly, so I think maybe the thermocline was like right the last four or five feet. But at 60 feet on a 70-foot, 2-foot dive, it was 71 degrees is what my computer is registering. So I have to say I was comfortable. I mean, it was a I, – I, I did a very – you know, since I didn't get to see much, I just did a slow ascent back up. And that was really an enjoyable ascent other than I couldn't see much. And as you got higher in the water column, the visibility opened up, which is unusual from the dives we've had. Normally, it's been to that first thermocline. The surface of the first thermocline has been bad. And uh, up at the surface, we actually had probably 15 feet, 20 feet. So that wasn't too bad. You had high hopes when you went down. Had high hopes. So uh, I think we might hit that site a couple times over the weekend yet. Uh, So a little hopeful maybe. Pardon me? I was going to say, did anybody go out by that little red buoy that we were talking about? We uh, didn't search for it. We did have uh, Dave, one of the other club members, did look for it, and he couldn't find it. So, you know, what we'll have to do one time is, is take a look. I've, I've got GPS coordinates for it. Plus, uh, it's, we've got it on your uh, scanner as well. So we'll take a look. But uh, it was getting kind of dark on the way back. Uh, so we headed on in. But it was a, a beautiful night for a dive. I mean, just great conditions. Uh, other than the visibility, I think I'm, do you think we'll get the visibility back? Will that, you know, if the, we get some east winds, will that bring some cold water from the bottom to clear things it'll, up, you think? It'll be interesting to see what the temperature does down there. Yeah. Well, what's nice is that this first year of having the buoy, 
uh, is that now we can look at that buoy and then document the conditions. What I've thought about doing while the stuff, the data is still online is taking and making a linear snapshot starting when it went in and just charting all the data points. And then anytime we do a dive, you know, put a line and then say what the conditions are and maybe we can spot some trends because we're definitely starting to see some stuff where, you know, it'd be nice to be able to pretty much predict what the conditions are going to be like before you even uh, leave the, the boat ramp. Well, I know that before I leave it, I always check that buoy now. Yeah. Oh, that, that, has, that has got me spoiled. I'm going to hate to see it go, but it looks like it's going to be there for at least a couple more years. Yeah. Well, actually, I like to check the aviation, and then I go ahead and check the marine forecast. And I check it both for the, you know, from us north and then us south to see if there's any delta there. Yeah. Yeah, they, uh, I, there's not a whole lot of granularity with some of the marine forecasts. They're, they're pretty broad. Well, part of ours is, you know, when you go a little to the uh, west of us, the lake coming in from Chicago towards the middle is much shallower, that section, than from us to Chicago, to that halfway point to Chicago, where right. deep they are. Therefore, the wave action and the wind directions are totally different for them, and they're, and they're, they're silting up. Like last week, you could surf in Michigan City. Oh, yeah. And I've got pictures of surfing in Michigan City because you got a north wind coming straight down the lake, pushing everything. So Michigan City was great. He had a little bit of a rip, but we didn't have too bad of weather. We had maybe five, six footers, not compared to what they had in Michigan City because it's straight down. Mm-hmm. That buoy is really, really good. Yeah, that, that, has been, that has been great. I'd love to see, to me, that would be a valid project would be for those a ring of the, or a line of those buoys to be about every five to 10 miles up the coast. That'd be amazing. Yeah. But you're, you're never going to see that, but even if they did them every 50 miles, it would give you point references. Yeah. And did you take a look at their, the, the people who are developing them and take a look at their map? They do have a couple out there, but a couple of them are North and they're in the big lakes up towards Mackinac. Mm-hmm. Cause I first saw the blip and I thought, God, they got one up in Sheboygan and they didn't, but oh. You're right. Even even a half a dozen would be great help out there. Yeah. Well, uh, it's a lot of local companies in the area. One of the, it was a mixture of about four different organizations from the University of Michigan to some uh, buoy companies. Uh, there's a company out of Holland, Michigan that was making parts for it. Yep. And, and there was a company that placed it. And then uh, we've actually got some club members who are in contact. So uh, we're trying to become a resource should they need any assistance with some of these buoys. Uh, I just hope they do a lot more and they're very, very um, well thought of and, you know, it really will develop. I completely agree with you there. Yeah, we can always put that, that site there so people can take a look at what we're talking because we, then they can look for themselves and say this is going to be a great thing, especially for us. Yeah. Yeah, I've got it. You, If you want to see it, I've got If you go to the Scuba Obsessed website page, click on Dive Forecast. And this is a page that I'm working on developing. So if you, anybody has any ideas, send me a line. But the uh, first link at the top says summer 2011, the Ude Gloss Station 45026 near Cook Nuclear Plant. And then a link. And then you click on that link and it has all sorts of charts and data points on that buoy. So great, great information. Yeah, I think it's called Limnotech, L-I-M-N-O-T-E-C-H. I think the abbreviation is L-T-I. Uh-huh. Yeah, it, and once you go to that link I have on there, and that's actually how I found uh, out about it. So you go all, uh, yeah, that Limnotech, if you click on that link there, 
it will bring up their website and the first article right there is talking about this buoy that we've been using. I mean, just yeah. how fortunate is that? That is just amazing how everything worked out to be real close to where we're diving. Suits me. Yeah, absolutely love it. You just couldn't, uh, you couldn't have planned it any better. Nope, that's great. So you, so what's on for your diving? You're going to get continue uh, diving the river tomorrow? Uh, nope, not tomorrow. Tomorrow we're, we're having a, a day off. I may try to get some air time. I was thinking about uh, maybe doing some nighttime shots over uh, the fair. Oh, cool, yeah. Because uh, the day was great, but I had other items. I'd rather got wet today. Yeah. So yeah. that's maybe something tomorrow if the weather's good. Yeah. I've been, uh, that's what I've been doing all this week is uh, I actually took today off from work and I'll be there again tomorrow and Saturday. The fair, my kids are, are showing at the fair and having a really good year with uh, with their animals and exhibits. Uh, doing very well, a couple first places and they're having a great time. So uh, I, I keep looking and seeing all these dive opportunities. I'm thinking, no, I'll, I'll, I'll go the fair. And then uh, you, you thought about the weekend. You, we think we're going to talk you to getting out. Oh, yes. Um, it's basically whoever goes out, I hope they put a little call and say, hey, I need people on the board. Um, well, it know- sounds like uh, Jim Schultz is planning on both Saturday and Sunday. Okay. Because so, I know will be available for a day. I'm definitely go for a, for a, for a shot. Uh, I just need to know when. Yeah, I think uh, uh, Bob is planning on going out. Uh, and then I'm, I'm going to try and uh, see if Jim Clemon will go out. I know he hasn't been diving for a couple of weeks. So we'll go ahead and be able to get that in in the water summer's running out so if you're not getting out there diving what are you waiting for oh man it ain't gonna get any better than it is in august no no i'm I'm, I'm already coming up too oh what's that i'm sorry i said we still have sheboygan coming up oh we do have sheboygan that'll be coming up here in september that uh, second weekend there in september and then we have charleston in october in october yeah Yep, so uh, I'm going to hit my dive uh, at least once a month. Hopefully everybody else is as well. So we, we've got uh, so we've got October out of the way. We'll have September out of the way. That just leaves November, December, and we'll have a, a complete year. Well, November, you got the turkey dive. Yep, we'll get that one in. And December, you have the New Year's dive. If I can get to do that one, I want to do that one of these years. Because my daughter's birthday last year. It'll probably be her, her birthday this year, too. I'm thinking it might be. I, I I was trying to ask her if she wanted to change it, but I'm I'm sure if I asked them now if they want in the summer, they'd be, they, they wouldn't mind. I think they're getting tired of having winter birthdays. Uh, bribery works. Yeah, yeah. I'm not above bribing. Uh, don't forget to head over to the Scuba Obsessed Facebook page, Scuba Obsessed, uh, excuse me, Facebook forward slash Scuba Obsessed. Also, uh, in the forums, I'm going to be putting some stuff uh, on there, I'm thinking about putting a Loran uh, chat discussion. I've been doing a lot of work on converting old Loran readings to GPS. So I thought about writing up a post on that. You find some good information. It's technical, so it's way beyond me. It's really beyond me. I mean, I I, lo- I pulled up the maps, and not the maps, the uh, math for everything they did. Because uh, and, and I won't go into it. I'll I'll save it for the post, but. For for something that no longer exists, I was hoping I would have be able to avoid it because I, I had a little bit of touch with Loran uh, through people who had bigger boats that really required it, but I never had the case to have the gear. And then GPS has been so popular and it's just so much easier and more convenient to use that I never really got in the Loran. So I thought I had dodged that bullet and was not going to have to learn about Loran, but. Uh, some good uh, GPS numbers just make <laughs> just pull me back in. So 
now I'm going through and reading a lot of that documentation I thought I was going to be able to avoid. I'd like to be able to say good documentation, but I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's it's interesting to know, but I'm glad we got GPS. That's all I can say. Me too. I've used the compass enough trying to relocate wrecks, and uh, GPS is a heck of a lot better. Yeah, and, and the accuracy. Because in the early days where they had the accuracy turn, tuned down, it was a little better than Loran, but it still was a little bit off. But, uh, you know, now with that accuracy turned up, you can get within, I mean, we've seen it with Bob. I mean, Bob had a long streak of probably 40 wreck anchorings where he hit the wreck every time. Jim wasn't doing too bad either the last couple of times. No, no. But I do prefer using the, uh, under, the you know, the submerged buoy part because that sure minimizes having to track it up down below and doing any damage with the anchor. Yeah. Speaking of GPS coordinates, uh, there's a new book that's uh, come out this last week that we just picked up copies of. Uh, what, what is the name of that one? I wish I should have a link. That's from the, the uh, Michigan Preserves. That is correct. And the Mud Club has a small little ad in it mentioning that the Mud Club is available. So that is the, uh, I'm going to do a Google real quick, the Michigan Underwater Preserves. Uh, they have a book that uh, you should be able to pick up. I think you can order it. Right. It's the Diver's Guide to Michigan Underwater Preserves. This will be the last time I believe they're going to do a hard copy uh, after after this issue. When it's, when it's gone, it's gone. Uh, they'll be going back to electronic me- methods or electronic means. Yep. And the website is www.michiganpreserves.org, and that will take you to it. And the reason they're, they're getting away from the, the paper copy is that you can go online and get essentially the exact same information, including GPS coordinates and maps of the wrecks along with little descriptions of the wrecks. And if you do not think that Michigan, the Great Lakes, doesn't have shipwrecks, then just go over and visit that website because we've got tons of them. Uh, where you hear uh, Mac and I and Jim talking about, we're in the Southwest Michigan Preserve. And then I see that they got a new preserve that they're starting. I already thought that was a preserve, uh, the West Michigan Underwater Preserve. Uh, they're, they're claiming that that one's proposed, but that one has the Ironsides in it and goes all the way up to Traverse City. But they've got the GPS. But the book is nice. If you want to have a book that you can put on your dive boat and no matter where you are in the Great Lakes, know that you're going to be able to find a wreck that you can dive on. That is the little booklet or pamphlet to have. Uh, published by jrunderhill.com. There's some divers who've been doing uh, publishing about underwater wrecks for a long time. Uh, I think they're out of Kalamazoo, if I remember correctly. So they're in our our backyard. So just a, just a great book. Go pick up a copy. Maybe we'll, we'll put a link in the show notes so you can go ahead and and get it. But definitely worth having the book. Much much better than I was expecting, actually. So I'm not quite sure though. I mean, I, I understand preserves and all of that kind of stuff, but still, 2,300 well, 2,300 square miles of bottom line is dedicated to preserves at this particular moment in time. Well, yeah, and it, it, uh, it's basically, basically, what's the word for it? The state can't pay for anything, but they want to make it their own domain. If you find something, it's the states. If you spend the time and effort to find it, it's the states. I, I'm still not that partial to a lot of that. Yeah. Well, I don't, I, I still think that stuff can be fixed and changed or fought in court. However, it needs to be. Uh, I mean, cause we, we do technically own our own state. So <laughs> if you're not getting involved in, in your state government, then you're missing out. So 
we can we can go ahead and and change some of this because I I agree with you on the the whole funding thing. They they do very little funding. It's all volunteers, the boards, the people, everything. There's there's no state money going into it, uh, other than uh, you know some of the wildlife and fish and DNR type of people who are out in the lake. But that's not because of the preserves there. Yeah, a good book. Uh, it, it, if nothing else, go to the website. A lot of, lot of information. You figure 10,000 wrecks in the Great Lakes, you're going to find something you like out there. Yeah. yeah. And the, I don't say there's more being created every day, but we're finding more all the time. And that brings us to this part of the show. See, we haven't scared everybody out of the chat room tonight. Thanks for coming. We have uh, Dave and uh, Shipwreck Mike chatting away. You ready, Mac? I thought you didn't have a joke for tonight. No, I've, I've got one. Oh, I'm, I'm right here. I got, <laughs> got my chair here. My hands are on the chair. I'm ready. Okay, strap on in. Uh, every night, Frank, an out-of-work scuba diver, would go down the liquor store and get a six-pack, bring it home, and drink it while he watched TV. One night as he finished his last beer, the doorbell rang. He stumbled to the door and found a six-foot cockroach standing there. The bug grabbed him by the collar, threw him across the room, then left. The next night, after he finished his fourth beer, the doorbell rang. He slowly opened the door, found the same six-foot cockroach standing there. The bug punched him in the stomach and then left. The next night, after he finished his first beer, the doorbell rang again. The same six-foot cockroach was standing there. This time, he kneed him in the groin, hit him behind the ears, he doubled over in pain, and then the big bug left. The fourth night, Frank didn't drink at all. The doorbell rang. The cockroach was standing there. The bug beat the snot out of Frank and left him in a heap on the living room floor. The following day, Frank went to see his doctor. He explained the events the preceding nights. He said, what can I do? Not much, said the doctor. It's just a big, nasty bug that's been going around. But that's so cute. Well, I figured with you feeling under the weather, that one uh, was kind of appropriate. <laughs> so until next time, go out there and get wet. And stay safe, guys. And gals. Recording has been completed.